0: I was out walking, uh, I guess, well, yeah, yesterday morning with my uh, daughter, Kai. We, uh, most people walk their dogs. I say I take, I, I'm going to go empty my dog. That's what I say when I, when I so we're out for the walk. And uh, on Saturday mornings, they, they pick up the garbage in our neighborhood. I don't know when they do it in yours. Uh, so we're out emptying the dog. And, and uh, uh, the garbage truck comes right around the same time that we start the walk. Anybody been on this walk? So the way the garbage truck and the walk works is that we walk for a while, and the garbage truck stops and picks up some cans, and as we continue to walk, we get closer to the garbage truck, and this particular garbage truck would win the award for stankiest garbage truck of all time. I don't know what was in there, but it, it's, it's the worst smell I've, I've experienced in, in long... It's, so here's what would happen. We would walk up to it, we'd get past the back of the truck and past the front of the truck, and all of a sudden the air would clear. But guess what would happen? The truck would move forward ahead of us again. And the, and the process repeated itself over and over again on what was otherwise a very delightful walk. Does anybody feel like that's kind of how life goes? Sometimes you're behind the truck, sometimes you're in the front. If I had to kind of just sum up, you know, the last six months of, of, of my life experience uh, of this period of history, we've been behind the garbage truck for a little while. Does everybody notice that? Uh, but is everybody grateful that God in his grace delivers us from behind the truck And he takes us out to the front where we can breathe again. I trust it's happening. I I trust we're all praying towards that end. Uh, But uh, we're going to talk about deliverance and and those out-in-front-of-the-truck blessings that God gives us as we uh, dive back into the story of the exodus uh, if you haven't uh, been a part of our study of Exodus, we started it last uh, year, right around this week. Uh, we, we dove into the book of Exodus. We picked it up in January. We're picking it up here. When I scheduled it, uh, I didn't know that everything that has happened was going to happen. I think God did. Uh, and so we're going to talk about it again. For those of you who are maybe unfamiliar with the Bible story, the, the book starts with a, 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 the book of Genesis, creation happens. Uh, three chapters in, creation is marred. Uh, by the choice of humanity. They they decide that they're uh, no longer uh, needing God and they they walk away from his plan, they disobey him, and sin enters existence. Uh, And the rest of the Bible kind of proceeds in this uh, story of God's redemption, his deliverance of humanity from its mess, its sin. And uh, it plays out in lots of different ways. In the book of Genesis, uh, the seed is planted for God's, overarching plan in uh, remedying our, our situation, uh, Abraham, this guy uh, who uh, gets lots of play in the book of Genesis, comes on the scene in chapter 12, and God makes a promise to him. He says, I'm going to covenant with you that from your descendants will come the one who will be the solution for man's problem. We know him to be Jesus. Uh, he's our savior. Is anybody in the house grateful that we have our savior, Jesus Christ? Yeah, so, so that comes... In Genesis, but then the story kind of hurdles forward. Uh, Abraham has a, a son, Isaac, a, a long-awaited son. Isaac grows up, and he has a couple sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob becomes the, uh, the, 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 the recipient of the inheritance. He's later referred to as Israel. And in the back half of the book of uh, Genesis, we find about Israel, Jacob, and his sons. There's 12 of them. They become the tribes of Israel. Won't take time for that. But, uh, but one of the sons is a guy named Joseph. And he is not beloved by his brothers. I don't know if you've got family rivalries going on in your world, but Joseph's brothers hated him so much they decided to kill him. Uh, one of the brothers, Reuben, says, you know what? We're not going to kill anybody today. Sells him into slavery instead. So we have this picture, this story of this guy, Joseph, who is uh, living with his brothers and his dad, Israel, in, in what is you know best known as, as the Middle East or Canaan, and he's taken to the nation of Egypt. Now he, he starts out kind of low. He's a slave, been sold into slavery. Uh, He goes lower. He's demoted, prisoner, uh, for something he didn't even do. But God knew exactly what was happening in the life of Joseph because at the appointed time, God uh, came and and plucked Jodas, Jodas Joseph out of prison, and He took him from the outhouse to the penthouse. He took him from prison to the palace. And Joseph interpreted the dream of the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, "You know what? That was so good." I'm making you my prime minister, your second command. Walk us through this famine that you've predicted after interpreting my dream. i tell you all that tell you this. Joseph, eventually, lots of stuff I'm leaving out, but eventually gets all of his family, his brothers and his dad, to move to Egypt with him, and that's where the descendants of Abraham find themselves as we open our story in Exodus. It's been 400 years since Joseph and his family transferred to Exodus. In those 400 years... Israel has blossomed, grown, multiplied in ways they could have never dreamed. There's so many of them that the Pharaoh says, you know what, we, we got to make sure these guys don't get too big for us. They don't overcome us. And so we're going to impose slavery on them. They're going to be our workforce and start building a lot of the buildings uh, that we want to you know, construct around here. That happens. And then a little bit later, the Pharaohs got together, uh, the government you know, cabinet got together and Pharaoh says, you know what, they're still, they're blowing and going. It's too much. We have to call the herd. We have to limit the number of these Israelites. And the way that we're going to do it is if any sons are born to Israel, our decree is that uh, this slave nation will have to throw their newborn sons into the Nile. And so that's where we meet our main character pretty much in the book of Exodus, a guy named Moses. He, he is born and his mother does not want to see him die. And so she sets him afloat in the Nile River. And he goes downstream a little bit. Anybody remember who picked him up? The daughter of the Pharaoh who decreed his death. Irony, God's so cool. Anyway, he's raised in the palace. As, as he uh, you know, com- comes to age as a man, his, his heart goes out towards his people. He knows he's one of them. And he, he sees their oppression, and he decides, "I'm going to act on their behalf." One day, he sees a slave master beating the snot out of one of the uh, you know, the Jewish slaves, and he, he steps in and he, he steps in to the point where he actually ends the slave master, kills him. And he figures this is going to endear him to the rest of Israel, does it? If you were with us, you know it doesn't. And so uh, Moses finds himself without a country. Uh, the Israelites don't want him. The Egyptians do. They've actually plastered his face on all the post offices uh, in their nation. Uh, he's wanted for murder, and so he goes on the lamb. He hangs out for 40 years as a shepherd uh, watching the sheep of his father-in-law until one day he's just minding his own business and a bush catches fire. And he walks up to this bush and he realizes this is no normal fire because the bush isn't burning like logs do and a voice comes from the bush and it tells him to take his shoes off and it starts to explain to him that, hey, I'm the one true God, the God of your fathers. And I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt and I'm going to go get them and guess who's gonna lead my plan? You are, Mo. You may remember what Moses says? Uh, no thanks. Not interested, but skipping over a lot of stuff there. He and Aaron eventually go and, uh, they tell Pharaoh, Hey, God told us to tell you, let the the Israelites go. Anybody remember what Pharaoh says? Chapter five, verse two, who is this God that I should obey him? What? We, we got gods. I Pharaoh, I am a God. He was actually seen as such in his culture. He says, you know what? I appreciate the the message there, but uh, I'm actually going to make it harder for them now. And Israel, they were not fond of Moses again. But... That brought us to where we ended up in January. Uh, These plagues were beset. They were were put upon the nation of of Egypt. And each one of the plagues was basically uh, a contradiction, a a controversion of of the Egyptian deities that Egypt uh, worshiped. And and, and basically God says, listen, I'm gonna just show Pharaoh that I am the one true God. Nine of them take place. uh, And and then the 10th one's the biggie. Because God decides, you know, the same curse, the same evil that Pharaoh put upon my people uh, back when Moses was just a child, I'm going to visit that same judgment upon him and his people. He says this, he says, listen, on on this night, the angel of death will visit every home in Egypt and the firstborn of every home will die as a judgment against Pharaoh and his people. Now, uh, Israel, if you want to be spared this heartache, this, this, this curse. Here's what you got to do. Remember what he said? You got to sacrifice a lamb. You got to take the blood of that lamb. You got to wipe it on the top of your doorpost and the angel will see that and he will pass over your home. Everybody in Israel did it. And it was the, not the first time, but one of the first times, it's certainly one of the clearest times in the Old Testament where faith is linked to deliverance. We're going to pick that theme up over and over again, right? But in faith, Israel obeyed what God had commanded, and they were delivered from the judgment. Uh, we, in our faith here in this age, we put our faith in Christ and what he's done. Not what we do, but what he has done. And it's by grace and through our faith that we are atoned, made righteous, forgiven of our sins. Faith is the key. Well, uh, the morning after uh, the angel of death visits the homes of Egypt, everyone wakes up and they're mourning the loss of their firstborn son. Pharaoh himself uh, is is going to the prince, the heir prince, and realizing he's gone. And this is it; it's the proverbial straw that breaks Pharaoh's back. And he says, "Get out of here! Go!" And as they go, the children of Israel leave as conquering forces would leave. Uh, the 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 plunder of Egypt is thrown on them. They're actually taking their own stuff, um, their bread that didn't have time to leaven. But that's another story. But uh, but they're just walking out of town, heads held high, miraculously, gloriously rescued and delivered by the grace of their God. Is everybody up to speed now? We're in chapter thirteen of Exodus, and <clears throat> we're going to be talking about deliveries. A couple things about deliveries as we get going in this series. Can everybody agree that sometimes deliveries take longer than you thought? Anybody here had a child? I haven't personally had a child, ladies. I've watched uh, birth happen three times, and every time it took way longer than I thought. Can I just be honest with you? I would, I would assume if Eleanor would he, was here, she'd, she'd say, oh, yeah, it took way longer than we uh, anticipated. But uh, in the end, we had our kids. Yeah, God. But deliveries sometimes take longer than you think. For, for, for these uh, Israelites, they were emancipated, their salvation came uh, at the end of the 10th plague, but it would be another 40 years before their glorification, as of, of a kind, would be realized when they entered the promised land in the book of Joshua. 40 years. A little, uh, you know, g- geographical tip here. If they'd just gone straight from Goshen in Egypt to Canaan, where they're going to end up, three weeks walk. Max. 40 years now that's a lot of them a lot of that's on them <laughs> they got things to learn but a lot of that is just God's uh, preparation for them and we find ourselves kind of in this wilderness uh, that is the, the the betweens of our of our salvation and our glorification this is we're in the process of being sanctified of being uh, molded into the character and likeness of Christ and and it's it takes time it, it the deliverance just you know often takes a while this is the second thing I know about deliverance um, We want to be delivered from, but God often chooses to deliver us through. Here's what I mean by that. When you and I pray, does anybody pray, you know, if someone's bugging you at work, Lord, wipe him out. Just wipe him out. (laughs) Remove him from this earth. Hope you don't. That's kind of mean. But, uh, But we pray those kinds of prayers. Just make it stop. Make it end, God. Whatever this pain is, whatever this trial is, anybody been praying that for this virus? I've been praying it since it started. Lord, make it end. So far, I mean, I think it's waning. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know how to read any of these things. But, uh, but it hasn't ended. My preference is it would have never started. But Lord, at least make it stop. But here's what God does a lot. In his word, in our lives, he says, you know what? I'm not going to deliver you from this, but I'm definitely going to walk with you through this. I'm going to teach you things you'd never learn otherwise. If you didn't go through this, we'll be talking more about some of the great things that are tied to God's deliverance. But let's start in chapter 13. I'm not going to read the first 16 verses, but just let me summarize what's happening there. In chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, God commands Israel to consecrate their firstborns. It's a great reminder. If I had time to preach this to you, I would. But it's a great reminder that we are a consecrated people. We are people set apart, set apart to be holy in the likeness of God. I'll preach that sermon to you sometime. The second thing we learn, though, is that not only are we to be consecrated, we're to be commemorators of what God has done. Right? You know why we sing the songs every week in here, church, to give us an opportunity to vocally, uh, musically give praise to God. But for me, one of the chief reasons that we sing the songs is so that we'll remember. You know why? Christians have lousy memories. We got this spiritual amnesia problem. Spiritual short-term memory. We, we, we're great at, re, at, at, at reflecting on or, or remembering in the moment the things that God has done. We see those things. But as soon as trouble comes, it's like, oh, I don't know who God is at all. I don't know if this is going to work out. And worry and fear and angst and those all set in. And so uh, throughout the story of the nation of Israel, there are reminders to remember. You're going to celebrate the Passover feast Every year, there was a big three feasts in in the uh, uh, Israeli calendar. Uh, lots of additional fasts and, and you know um, religious rites. Things that you know, apart from grace and apart from our understanding their meaning and stuff like that, can be empty. But certainly, they came about as a result of God wanting us to remember. So those are the things I'm not preaching to you. Starting in verse 17, we're going to get to the story that even if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe you've heard of it. It's the story of the parting of the Red Sea. Who's heard that one? Anybody? Yeah, Good. We're going to see God's deliverance in this story, and we're going to learn about how His deliverance works and what He hopes for us, in the same way that He told the nation of Israel to, to sacrifice the lamb and put the, the blood on the doorpost by faith. He, he wants us to walk by faith with Him as He delivers us. What does he want us to do? Here's the whole outline. you can leave after this, if you want. He wants us to, as we're going to see from the story, follow God's direction. He wants us to rest in God's presence. What a blessing. And he wants us to trust in God's plan. Follow his direction, rest in his presence, and trust in his plan. Let's walk through those and leave here encouraged. First, follow God's direction. God wants us to go where he points, even if it seems easier to travel by some other route. (laughs) Look what it says. When Pharaoh let the people go, verse 17, God did not lead them by the way of the land, of the Philistines, although that was near, but God, verse 18, led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land equipped for battle. That that last line, equipped for battle, just let me do that real quick. It basically means they walked out in an orderly fashion. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were like armed to the teeth. It just means that they heard that God wanted them to go this way, and they're like, okay, and they, they you know, like, like, like the sail in the military, fall in. They all fell in, and they just walked in order in the direction that God called them to, even though it wasn't the fastest direction. Now, some of these Israelites probably had never been, probably most of these Israelites had never been out of Egypt. They'd always been slaves. Uh, there weren't, you know, uh, phones with GPS and, and maps, you know, apps on them so that they could figure out the shortest routes. Everybody liked those in the world that you live in? Me too. But uh, what they... <laughs> Uh what they they didn't know probably didn't hurt them. Uh like I said earlier, if they just walked straight around uh, here's the map. Here we go. Uh here's Goshen, right? This is where they were hanging out, it's where they were freed from. Now the coast of the Mediterranean Sea kind comes around here, and then over here is is Canaan, uh as as you're looking at my belly. And so if they had just kind of hugged the coast and walked along the Mediterranean, that that's the two what, two week, three-week wow, three-week route. Um But that's not where they went. They went south, completely out of the way. Typically, we don't like going out of our way. Is anybody else a destination person here? Some of you guys are journey people. You're weird. I love you. But, uh, (laughs) but, you know, the destination, I mean, most of us just want to get there. Like when all the options come up on your map, uh, you know, app, I just pick the shortest one. How do I get there the fastest? Most people like it that way. Eleanor and I were driving up to take our vacation a couple weeks ago, and we're going up through uh, Georgia near Macon. And uh, there's a a sign on the side of the road that says Andersonville, uh, this exit. And Andersonville is this, uh, basically it's a a museum, a, a site where in the Civil War, the Union troops were trained by train, whatever brought here by train. Uh, and, and, and they, many of them lost their lives here. It's a, just this horrible place. She read a book on it though. And she's always wanted to see it. And so she says to me, Hey Mark, we're not in a superhero to get her uh, hurry to get where we're going, which I was, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but you know, let's just pull off. And I've, I've been married not long enough, but you know, 28 years. And, and I, I know this is going to be a good thing if I pull off here. And so I'm, i I just pull off. And, and I, I start following the signs. Well, it's about 10 miles and we're still nowhere near anything that looks like a Civil War site. And so there's this little turn down this, you know, we haven't turned on our, we just thought it was right there. We haven't turned on our maps or anything. And so we take this turn and guys, I drove for like 40 miles and there's still nothing. And we're just following the signs. And, and, and we're getting close to this thing. And here's the funny part. I said, babe, do you even know if this is open? He's like, oh, all the state stuff's always open. It's always open. Anybody want to guess what happened when we got there? <laughs> it was, uh, we pulled up, and the guy who was trimming the bushes, hey, sir, what time does the museum... Oh, this thing hasn't been open for months. I don't know what you guys are doing out here. If you want to drive around, you can look at the grass. Anyway, um, <laughs> we, we're not fond of detours. But here's the deal. God often takes us on detours because he knows what's up ahead. Some of you are reading in your Bibles and you know when I read verse 17 just a second ago, I didn't read the whole thing. Some of you are just looking at the screens because you've been trained to do that and you just think that's the only place the Bible is. It's not true. You can look it up on your phone. Anyway, but if you had been looking at your own Bibles, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to call him out on this. I'm going to email him about this. He totally left. I'm going to get to it. I was just holding it back for a second. Is everybody with me? So let's read the whole of verse 17. It says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see the war and return to Egypt. I'm not going to take them this way. God knew who he was leading. His Israelites were skittish. Given one opportunity to, to you know, head back to the slavery that they've been freed from, they'd probably do so. And so in his wisdom, he says, you know what? I've gone into the future. I see what awaits them. If they go by the way of the Philistines, the Philistines await them. And because they won't want to make war and will probably rebel against you, Moses, we're going the other way. We should be glad for that kind of guidance when God gives it to us. Not disgruntled, believing that our way would be better. Certainly our way would be shorter. We do this because we want to trust the one who's been there. Isn't that the case in our, just our world? Let's trust who's gone before us. That's why we look up things on Yelp and other stuff that has reviews. That's why we ask someone, you know, have you been to this restaurant? Was it good? God doesn't go to restaurants, but he goes into our future. Everybody gets that God is not controlled or contained by time. He, he knows what's up ahead of us. He's seen what awaits us. And, you know, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you pray as a kind of a normal, you know, matter of, Things that you do, pray this one. Thank you, God, for steering my path away from the things that I don't even know were there, and forgive me, God, when I get fussed out at you because my life is a is a, is a little you know uh, uh, you know disrupted by the length of the journey, by the direction of the journey. Forgive me for not trusting you and realizing that you're taking me exactly where I need to go. Exactly the pace that I need to be going so that I can have exactly what you desire for me to have. Now, verse 19, there's a brief mention of some bones there. Uh, Joseph called his shot 400 years before the emancipation of Israel. Uh, He says, hey, when you guys leave Egypt, take my bones. Moses says he will. I'm not going to cover that in any depth, but it's pretty cool. God calls uh, his shot through Joseph all those years ago. Second thing, after understanding that we need to go in God's direction, just follow him, uh, is that we need to rest in God's presence. So they, they start walking, not a, on the short route. They start walking south. And, uh, and it says, uh, verse 20, I'll read it to you. If you got it in your uh, books, you can follow along with me. It says that they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of, say it with me, Okay, now say it like you mean it, and in a pillar of? Okay, so there's a big cloud out in front of them. Who heard that one before? Anybody? Okay, wow, three people. All right. Uh, so a, a cloud led them in, during the daytime, and at night there was a pillar of, say it? Fire. Yeah, fire. And, gave, and it, it gave them light and so that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. And it doesn't say for how long. Does anybody know how long? 40 years, that's right, for the, for the duration of their time in the wilderness. Every day they woke up, cloud. Every night they went to bed, fire. Isn't that cool? And sure, it's a great thing to be able to know. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome for us if we could have, you know, a cloud in front of us? Uh, like, you know, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which job. Oh, there's a cloud over there. I guess I'm going to work there. Okay. Or, hey, Father, I'm praying for my mate. I'm praying that you'd lead me to the right person for me. Oh, it's nighttime. Oh, well, look, that, that, that girl's got a big fire thing over her head. I, I guess I'm going to hang out with her. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be awesome, right? Uh, we don't have that. But, but can I just share with you that God hasn't left us without markers. Eleanor and I, uh, as we were hanging out in North Georgia, we went on a hike at Vogel State Park. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's up on a mountain. Blood Mountain, as it's called. I know why it's called Blood Mountain, because people have started this hike and died out there. I know that's true. <laughs> we started this hike, and, and the way that we figured out uh, in many places, because the, the trail would diverge or the trail would kind of get lost in the woods, is, is we would be watching these markers. There's these little green diamonds on trees every 50, 100 yards, and you would just look for the markers, and you'd go that direction until you found the next one, and if you couldn't find one, you'd backtrack. We didn't, we were fine. But, uh, but, but God gives us markers. Now, he, he doesn't use fire, and He doesn't use clouds anymore. Uh, What does he use? Well, he he uses his word, which has been given to us and was not available to most of the people who you read about in the Bible. And then he's given us his spirit. He talks about both in John chapter 14. If you want to turn there, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's still hanging out with his disciples. He's giving them kind of some some final instructions. And he says this to them in, in chapter 14 of John, verse 15. If you love me, if you're with me, then you will keep my commandments. And if you're going to be able to keep his commandments, you have to know his commandments. Does everybody see how the two go together? You can't obey something you don't have in your heart or in your mind. So God says, or Jesus says, hey, if, if you want to show that you love me, know my commandments and keep my commandments. Know my character and exude my character. Know who I am and follow me in who I am. Your Bibles aren't just your rule books. They're the revelation of God and his, his character, his nature. They, they, they give you directions. Uh, your Bibles give you directions. They, they, they tell you this and not that, to zig and, to, and not zag. We, we can know from God's scripture uh, what we're supposed to do in our marriage. You don't have to, you know, most of the time you don't have to sit there and pray, God, show me what to do in this situation. Just do what the book says, fellas. Die to yourself as Christ died to the church for your wives. It's in the book. Children, I don't know how to take, I don't know, do I obey my parents or not? Yeah, it's in there. You obey your parents. I mean, anything. How do I handle my money? It's in there. Be no man's debtor, uh, be good stewards. Uh, In Proverbs, it talks about being like an ant and preparing for the future. There's all kinds of wisdom as God has revealed it and revealed himself in his word. When it comes to your weekend, what should I do this weekend? Well, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering about the bar and what you should do there, the Bible tells you how you should function. You don't have to pray about a lot of stuff. Please do pray. I'm not saying don't pray. But there's not mystery in most of the will of God in life. The general will of God is on display in his word. How about this one? How should I vote? You vote as God would vote. You vote, not your conscience, your preferences. You vote, listen, you pray and say, God, okay, as revealed in your word, how should I leverage this opportunity in a democratic society? I vote as you would have me vote. When it comes to social media, you post what God would post. Please get this message. Because if you have under your, you know, descriptions of yourselves on your social networks that you go to church, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and then your posts sound like you follow the other guy and are seeking to honor your own just All right, I'm spending too much time. Listen, from God's word, we, we can become familiar with him. From, we, we can understand who he is and what he's about. He, as, as we grow in our understanding of Word of his word, we grow in our understanding of him. C.S. Lewis wrote these great books for kids uh, called the Chronicles of Narnia. One of the books is called Prince Caspian. In it, uh, the character that basically symbolizes Christ is in a lion. His name is Aslan. And Aslan gets to know these kids who come through a wardrobe. You've got to read the books. Anyway... Uh, But Lucy's one of the kids, and it's been a while since she and Aslan have hung out. And and so Lucy's an older girl now, and she comes through, and she sees Aslan. She's like, Aslan, you're so much bigger. You're so much bigger than I remember. And Aslan says this to her, that's because you've grown my child. And Lucy looks at him, incredulous. She says, "It's it's not because you're bigger? And Aslan says, no, I'm not. I haven't gotten bigger. I've always been the same. But every year you grow, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every, every step that we take in, in our maturity and becoming like Christ magnifies who he is and what his will is in our lives. So we read our word and we apply what we read in our word, but we, we don't stop there. We, we, we are blessed with the presence of his spirit. It may not be in the form of a cloud or a pillar of fire, but, but God has given us his spirit to dwell in us. Look at what it says in John 14. It says in verse 16, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you, you know him. For he dwells with you, in you. Ephesians tells us that we are sealed by the spirit. And he will be in you and he will act as a guide for you if you'll only listen. So we have his word. We have himself, his spirit, as our pillar of cloud and fire. So as we seek God's deliverance, he asks of us... uh, to follow his direction, to rest in his presence. And then he says, and then just trust me, trust in my plan, trust in God's plan. Let's turn to chapter 14. It says this, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of that hard word between Migdal and the sea in front of that other hard word. I can do that one, but Ael Zephon, who shall encamp facing it by the sea. Um, (laughs) Again, the, the children of Israel, probably blissfully unaware, of of the direction that they need to go. And so they're not probably complaining about taking the long way around. Uh, I think probably in a few years they will, but uh, I know they will. But uh, they're they're, kind of just following Moses and and Moses says, uh, here's from God. Hey, I, I need you to take them down to the beach, hang out by the shores of the Red Sea. We're not really sure exactly where this is, but, but, but I need you to take them there. Now, if, if, if we were, you know, planning this journey together and the, and the generals of Israel got together, they would probably balk against this because it's a horrible strategic move. If you're going to take a huge body of unarmed people uh, somewhere, don't take them to the box canyon that is the beach. No boats are coming. And so if anybody were to pursue them, the Philistines, as we'll see in a second, the Egyptians... Um, They're dead by the water. (laughs) But let's read God's reasons. He he says, Moses, lead them to the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people Israel, they are wandering in the land. Their wilderness has shut them in. We have an opportunity to get them back. And we'll see Pharaoh talk about this in a second. And he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. God's going to, as he's already done in the plagues. Anybody remember when we talked about that over and over again? God um, disallowed Pharaoh... And when I say this aloud, here's the deal. All of us are, because of sin, kind of jacked up. We're, we're, we're wicked in our core. Does everybody get that? And Does everybody understand that if we do anything that is good, it's by the grace of God that we do that, right? And so Pharaoh was basically left to his own devices. God did not interfere with Pharaoh's wicked heart. And so he says, I'm going to just let Pharaoh and his heart move as he would move as he seeks to pursue them and and I'll get the glory over Pharaoh one last time. 12 plagues in, we're going to run this back one more time so that I might have the glory, the clear victory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. And they did so. So Israel starts walking towards the beach so that God one last time can receive the glory from this story. Now, the, the next verses kind of reveal a couple of things about deliverance that we need to recognize moving forward. Um, things are going to get kind of hairy every once in a while. We're going to be behind the truck, right? Uh, and, and we need to remember that that's coming. It's coming because the enemies that are against us are relentless. Uh, Pharaoh. Uh, verse five says when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we've done that we have let Israel go from serving us? This is kind of a confusing verse, right? Didn't Pharaoh just let him go like a chapter ago? He's like, yeah, you guys can go. In fact, please do go. So why would he act surprised all of a sudden that, wait a minute, news has come that Israel is like really gone. How is this even possible? Well, good for us. They didn't take the easy road. Uh, They've gone south. We can pin them in by the Red Sea. Let's go get them. Most scholars believe that that Pharaoh, uh, earlier on in in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said, hey, would you let the uh, Israelites go out for three days and hang out in the wilderness and serve God? And so uh, in chapter 12, when Pharaoh says to the children of Israel, go, you know what he says? He says, go out in the wilderness and serve God. Same phrase. Same phrase. So a lot of scholars think that probably Pharaoh, when he let him go, maybe he thought it was for three days, but on day four he's like, "Hey, where's the Israelites?" And then someone comes, "Oh, they're gone. They 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 didn't stop. They just kept going." And Pharaoh's like, "What? Well, we can't have that. Let's go get them." And so he did. He, verse six tells us that he got uh, his army together—not just his old army, but the very best in his army, like the Navy SEALs and the Army Rangers and. You know, the, the officers, the very best special forces, he put them in chariots, which was a symbol of Egypt's strength back then, basically like tanks, you know, in our more modern age. And he says, go get them. And he just set, you know, these hundreds, if not thousands of uh, soldiers out after Israel. And, uh, and that's how our enemies function. We, we got uh, Travis just started, uh, or spoke a couple weeks ago in First Peter about our enemy, the uh, devil, who's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour uh, he's not going to stop he's always going to press in and, and try to dissuade us and move us away from uh, following god you know there's a, a, a built-in enemy in all of us even though we are saved by grace and we are new in every way there's an old man who still exists in us did anybody wake up to him today you woke up on the wrong side of the bed that's the old man's side he's always hanging out isn't he? old man old woman Always trying—it's just this, this you know, tractor beam, this this gravitational pull towards who we used to be without Christ. We're, we're, we got enemies on every side. We we shouldn't be surprised by that. It's it's not going to stop, and certainly we shouldn't ever freak out, which is what Israel does. They let their fear make them vulnerable. Uh, and I got to summarize because I'm out of time. So if you know the story, here's Israel hanging out by the beach, probably getting the tans. They you know. I don't know. Anyway, they're just hanging out, and they're counting all the stuff that uh, Egypt has given them. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, there's this cloud of dust off in the distance. And someone says, what's that? And then someone who's on charge of lookout says, the Egyptians are coming. And they cry out to God like they did before he saved them. Save us again. But then you know what they do it, immediately after that? They turn to God's leader, Moses, and they get all sarcastic with him. Were there not enough graveyards in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? We should have stayed there. We told you all along we shouldn't have followed you. This is a bad idea. Been on that road trip? Moses sees their fear and he is disgusted because here's the deal. It doesn't matter what happens out there in the world, what viruses come, which candidate gets elected? I mean this with all my heart. It doesn't matter what happens in our world. Does everybody hear me? God is in control, He is the God over this world. And those who follow Him need not fear. And so Moses said, in verse 13, look what it says. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. He says in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. He said three things there. And just so you know, he's not, he's not talking all soft. This is not a there, there. There, there, Israelites. Oh. He's like, Enough. Fear not, we will not be run by fear. Timothy says it this way, we have not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. We walk in the confidence of a God who can and who will. Fear not. And then he says this, he says, stand firm. You know what the Christian's biggest problem is? They just can't stand still. I trust you, Lord. Sorry, cameras. (laughs) I trust you, Lord. Now I'm going to go try to fix it myself. And Moses says, guys, just stand there on the beach and watch what God does. Just stand firm. You know what it says in the armor of God passage in Ephesians chapter 6? It says, put on the full armor of God and stand firm. You know what it says right after that? And then stand firm. It says it twice. You know why? Because Christians are lousy. at standing firm. It's just waiting on the Lord to renew our strength, to to deliver us and to rescue us. We're lousy at it. Don't fear. Stand firm. And you know what the last line is? It's really terse in Hebrew. You just have to be silent, he says. You know what it really says in Hebrew? Shut up. Stop talking. Stop talking yourself. Stop posting. Stop worrying. Stop verbalizing your fears. Release your anxiety to the God who is in control. And I don't have time to preach all this, but is everybody familiar with what happened at the Red Sea? Moses takes a rod and he sticks it in the water and the waters part and Israel walks across on dry land and, and, and before that, this cloud that had been their guide stands between them and the armies of Egypt all night So that the armies of Egypt can't get past. You think that was a little bit of an object lesson? Yeah, there they are. They're right on the other side of the cloud, but they're not touching you. I told you I'm in charge. But they walk across on dry land. The army pursues them. The waters collapse over them and not one is spared. That's the deliverance of an all-powerful God. And that's the God we serve. So now, may you and I walk in the confidence that is due an all-powerful God. May we live without fear. May we stand firm in our belief in him. And may we silence the clamor, the noise, the distractions. and Trust him, follow him, rest in him. Let me pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for your word and the chance to just dig in it today as we uh, relaunch into Exodus. Lord, would you just guide us, uh, especially in the season that we're in. Uh, we, just, we need to see you uh, out before us and, and sense you as your spirit dwells in us, guiding us through the decisions of the day, through the, uh, the, the worries of the moment. Uh, grant us, God, your grace. Thanks for delivering over and over And over again in our lives, help us trust you, help us follow you, and give us rest, I pray. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. amen.